I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Welcome back. So this, finally, after, what, two and a half years, almost three yeah, years three. of working together, Alice Lowe and I are coming up with my next book, the fourth book in my series, first for Alice, uh, Unstressable. Unstressable comes out in the US on April 30th and comes out in the rest of the world on May 9th in English. It is one of my favorite efforts because it's backed up by a mission of helping people come out of stress every year. So my guest today and the best guest, honestly, to start a series of podcasts about stress is my co-author, the wonderful Alice Law. Alice has been my guest here on Slow Mo in season one. You may not have been, you know, one of us at, uh, by then, but uh, Alice was in the top 10 episodes of season one. We uh, became very close uh, because she hosted me on her podcast and then I hosted her on mine. Uh, she's a stress management expert, not just by study, but also by her personal experience. She is a Reiki master. I can vouch for that. And uh, she is an Akashic Records specialist. And she uh, basically uh, has dedicated her own life after her own experience of stress in ways that are probably a bit too much for most of us to try and alleviate stress from others. Alice and I will be doing a mini series of stress together. Some of it uh, you'll find here only on slow-mo. Some of it you'll, you'll find both on here and on Alice's podcast, Unstressable. And some of it you'll find on Unstressable only. But we're trying to cover stress from all angles to give you an overview and hopefully have you join our mission by being one of the one million out of stress this year. The book is out, so ready for pre-orders. If you do pre-order, which I think you should, Please keep your um, your pre-order receipt, go to unstressable.com, send us a copy of that, and then uh, we will invite you to our very special launch event, online launch event uh, on the 28th of April to discuss Unstressable and a lot of the techniques that we may not have the time to discuss here today. All right, Alice, so Unstressable mm. was not an unstressful uh, experience to write this. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we started, uh, 2021. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 2021. I think all my friends think I was lying about having written a book. <laughs> it's taken so long so, to so come what, out. What, what most people don't know is that writing a book is probably the easiest part of publishing a book. So it, it actually becomes uh, progressively more complicated. So we started writing was it 2021? Yeah, 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 yeah. 21. Like March uh, March 21. 21, yeah. And and then I think by summer 21, we were done, right? Uh, there were those wonderful conversations going back and forth. Remember when we would have this half an hour, one hour phone conversation about the structure of every, of every chapter. And then we would split and work on the parts that we are good at together, you know, separately. And we would edit each other's work and so on. But then books become a lot more complicated when it becomes, uh, you know, about to be published. So, you know, the publishers have to scrutinize and edit and, and so on and so forth, which 
takes a very long time. And in my mind is not the most creative process if you want. Uh, so it's sort of like um, defies what I want to do with my time. And then publishing actually is probably, you're going to uh, witness that for the first time, is probably the most grueling experience ever because you have that one week of time where you have to sell enough copies for the book to get on the bestseller list. It doesn't matter how good your book is. If you manage to get it on that bestseller list in the first week, then enough people know about it and then the mission gets kickstarted and then you probably have a chance, which basically means that leading to that week, you do a lot of effort and a lot of, uh, of work. So, uh, which becomes very stressful. But no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I have to admit, I mean, personally, I have always been come really close to burnout at the end of every publishing cycle. So, so, you know, especially Scary Smart, because that was quite a uh, pivotal book for me, because I think it was very timely. And I did, I remember I did 29 podcasts in the, in a span of two weeks leading to that uh, week. Uh, which served the book really well. I, I guess what I'm trying to say to our listeners is they might as well help the mission, but by if they're interested in Unstressable, ordering it, pre-ordering it rather than ordering it, because then all of those orders come out in the first week. The story, however, of Unstressable, I think most people know my side of stress and losing Ali and so on, but I don't know if everyone knows your side and, you know, that story that I was uh, talking about, about your personal experience. Do you, you want to share that briefly? And why were you in your twenties, the most stressed person on the planet? <laughs> on the whole, on the whole planet. <laughs> Actually, it's true. I mean, uh, tell us. So, I mean, I hope not on the whole planet, but no, I mean, I was, yeah, I really struggled in my twenties with anxiety, particularly in stress because I had what I call going to stress school by the universe. It wasn't, you know, people always ask me like, why, how did you get into stress management? What did you study? And, you know, I've, I've trained in EFT and mindfulness and meditation and Reiki and all these different things, but that's not why I believe I'm qualified and good to be able to deal with people's stress. The universe sent me to stress school. So over a period of, it's like seven to eight years, you know, I, I was lucky. I grew up in a very like stable, wonderful home and loving parents and, you know, apart from normal teenage angst we all have, life was pretty, you know, easy, I will say, until I was 18. And then suddenly life had a different uh, different plan. So my dad was an entrepreneur and he had built successful businesses. But then after the 2008 credit crisis, he really, really struggled um, with them sort of falling apart financially, having overly invested in various things. And he sort of watched that really disappear in front of him. And he was very, very stressed, obviously, understandably from having to put his company into administration process that he had worked years to build. And, you know, it's really meant a lot to him. He was of that generation where men provide and, you know, it's kind of an identity, right? I'm sure you can kind of relate to that as a man. And yeah, so during that time, at the same time, my eldest half-sister, Suzanne, who was just wonderful, she got diagnosed with cancer. She beat it a couple of times, but then very sadly, after four years, she um, we lost her to cancer. And it was during that time that my dad really, you know, his his way of dealing with stress was to start drinking more and to really go into himself because he was of that, you know, that age, that kind of generation where you deal with it yourself as a man. You know, you don't... I think it's a masculine thing in general. Yeah. I mean, you, you know the difference between us when, when I'm stressed. I'd, yeah. 
I'd like to spend time to work through things myself. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, you know, we, um, I really struggled because I saw my dad really deteriorate and it was only a week, no, not even a week, a few days after we came back from Suzanne's funeral that my dad was rushed to hospital because he'd been lying on his bed, just not, you know, moving because he was so struck with grief um, that he got a blood clot. And so they scanned his body, um, relieved the clot, everything was fine, but they found that he had cancer again. And by this point, he was just like, I've given up. But he'd been, you know, betrayed in business by people who thought of his family. He'd lost his eldest daughter. His businesses had gone under. We just had to sell our home. He was like, he was not, you know, not in a good way. And he was just like, I'm just not, I'm just not going to deal with this again. And so I obviously was very, very stressed. My dad was my bestest friend. He was like my hero growing up. He was such an incredible, solid just an amazing figure of a father, like did so many wonderful things with us when we were growing up, taught me how to fish and ride a quad bike. And, you know, he was busy with his work, but he was never too busy for us. And I really, really will treasure that forever. And um, I, you know, was like, well, you need to get, you need to get treatment. And I caused so much stress by asking him like, what's going on, what's going on. And he just didn't want to. And so I'd wake up at this time, I was grieving for my sister. I would wake up anxious every day where I would have more bad family news. I'd ring my dad being like, what are you going to do? Da, da, da. He would just brush off my questions about doctors. I got made redundant. I had a breakup from heartbreak. I just was so stressed. I was just like, I was worried about finances. I had my own health issues. They were worried I now had colon cancer because I got such bad IBS from stress. Because, you know, when we get stressed, we hold so much in our stomachs that they thought I then had cancer. I just had, you know, a lot going on. And I realized, well, before this time, when Suzanne was in hospital, I realized I needed to start to learn like different bits of my own self-studying. Um, like, how am I going to, how am I going to deal with this? So I started looking at spirituality, you know, mindfulness. How do you look at stress from the body? How do you look at it from the spirit, from energy, from the mind, anything I could like find my hands on but I laugh because my old bosses will probably listen to this because like I'm still friends with them and I when they used to go out for lunches I used to just be working on this by myself on my desk <laughs> best employee in the world I know guys but the, you know I just there was nowhere for me to find stress you know management tools in this yeah. capacity and anyway I soothed myself I managed to come back to being like more like myself but then it was Four years after Suzanne died, um, that my I lost my wonderful dad to stress-related illness. So he was always adamant, and he was correct, that cancer wouldn't grow quick enough when he was in his 70s to do anything about, and he'd already given up. It was like his way of, you know, leaving, essentially, kind of resigning himself to it. And he was correct, though. You know, we lost him to a burst stomach ulcer that accumulated from severe stress, and it burst and caused internal complications. And, you know, I remember, I think I said this to you because you talked about this with like Ali. I remember going to the funeral chapel to see my dad and see his body. And he looked more peaceful than he had done in like eight years. And I was just like, I'd already done this work because, you know, I was working with clients then and we'd, you know, hadn't met. But like when we met and we wanted to write this book and do this mission, that's such a big part of the reason is my dad, as you know, because... I want people to realize that you don't have to have this awful period of your life for such a long time under stress. Like we're not meant yeah. to be stressed. Yeah. And I mean, I, my, my, my recent experience losing my, my brother and my sister-in-law is very similar where, where you actually I mean uh, for, for those who may not be following. So uh, my, my brother had several cancers actually for a year and a half now. And 
He was rushed to a hospital like a month and a half ago. His wife is really my sister. I mean, someone that I, I love so dearly. And uh, from stress, she sitting next to his uh, hospital bed had a heart attack and couldn't be saved even even in the hospital. And then a month and, and a week later, he uh, he himself just gave in. And, and interestingly, not because of the cancers, when you're saying it now, it was again because of a, a you know a, a benign tumor that uh, that was in his um, digestive system but like you when when i saw him leaving i think the very first thing of course was shock to lose both of them it was the pain of missing them because they lived in egypt and i didn't see them that often as much as i loved them but then i realized it was actually good for him you know that amount of suffering uh, we'd be would be self selfish if you think about it to to keep them. So, so yeah, I can I can easily relate to that. Of course, you know when when we started to write Unstressable, uh, for those who may not know. So so Alice was the one that suggested I write about stress, and and I said no, I don't write about stress. I write about happiness and. And then she said, but how can you expect people to be happy when they are so stressed? And you know, she told me her story as I said on the podcast. But then I realized, which was quite big for me, that I too had a very similar experience, which I only realized when I started to write Unstressable, which was the fact that I lost my dad, uh, not my son. My, my dad I lost when I was 24. He died in my arms, again, because of stress. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, he, he was an, a very distinguished engineer. He was really a successful, uh, uh, you know, a businessman. And, uh, and you know, one day, um, his company changed. And so they assigned him a different responsibility other than the sort of the baby that he built uh, over the years. And he just sat in his living room obsessed with one thought, which was, they never appreciated me. And, and I could see as, as that depression and stress of going to work every day when he felt that way, just ate him from the inside. And, and eventually, my wonderful uh, middle brother was studying medicine in the US at the time. He calls him, he says, you, sh you should come see me. And so my, my brother takes a flight, comes over. My dad comes with me to the airport. First time in his life to receive someone, in his, or at least in my life, seeing him receive anyone in the airport. He hugs my, uh, my brother and then says, okay, we're done. I can go home now. And that's it. That was the very last word he said. We, we went home, my other brother who, recently left us, came and hugged him. And then he lay on the floor and, and left life. And I think, I think that idea is, is profound in our book that we all will struggle, that, that there will always be some reason to be stressed, right? Whether it is your dad's financial, you know, circumstances or, or my dad's obsessive idea or your dad's losing uh, Suzanne, your sister, and or my sister-in-law's, you know, stress about losing Amr, my brother. So, so when you really think about it, it seems that stress is quite per pervasive. But, but what we're attempting to do here is to say that it doesn't have to stress you. The events can be stressful, but that you don't have to be stressed. I believe that I wouldn't have written that book as it is if it wasn't for you, because you and I are very different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we really are very different. So <laughs> describe that, basically. <laughs> Our difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like yin and yang, isn't it? And I think that's why so true. Why it works, because 
what we've found from, you know, we have our, our membership, which obviously is part of our mission with Unstressable, and we did a sort of pilot with it in the last, like, you know, nine months. And what we found from people... Oh, more. Well, more, yeah, yeah a year. Yeah, and a bit now. The, what we found from people listening to our talks and stuff is that because of the huge difference between us, it kind of always comes together for people because you'll always have something that you personally relate to within it between us. So I'm very, as we know emotional, feminine in that way. I'm all about my intuition, about emotions. I'm logical, but I'm not an engineer and I'm not a mathematician and I hate physics, but... <laughs> do you? <laughs> I, do, I don't, I just actually know. You know this. I won't say, I'll say this in a second, come back to the physics point, but that's how, you know, I live my life based on like energy, emotions, emotional intelligence, intuition, spiritual intelligence. And I like logic and I, you know, I practice, you know, mindfulness and those kind of practices and putting it together, but... That's how I always have been. I just, I, I'm a huge feeler, essentially. And you obviously have this amazing, like, mathematician, physics, engineering mind, um, which is so, like, oh, my God, it just kind of blows my mind. I don't really understand what goes on in your head sometimes. <laughs> it's a foreign language. And then, obviously, you have that, you know, emotional wisdom and you you appreciate all those sides so much as well. And so I think the fact that we both appreciate the other side of, what the other one can yeah. give and also then give a different side is why it all came together. Yeah. I, I mean, I, um, I always say that, um, when I read my bits of the, uh, of the, of the book, I go like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, written, <laughs> <laughs> written as concise as possible. And, you know, equations, there are so many equations in this book, but then I read your bits and I always, I, and I, I say that with a ton of respect and love because every time I read your bits, I go like, where is she going with this? Like, what, 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 what is this? And then around a half a page or a page in, I go like, I feel something in my heart. So it, it doesn't hit me in my head first. I just feel it in my heart and I go like, oh my God, wow. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then, I, and then sometimes I read it again and I think the, the language is so different. You, you mm -hmm. write in such a feminine way. I write like a textbook. It's like, oh, what am I doing? Uh, but it's it's really quite an, an interesting mix. And the book is made up of very different sections, as I said, where you wrote the last uh, three chapters completely. And I learned quite a bit from them. I wrote perhaps quite a bit of the first three, and then we shared efforts on, on other chapters. But the idea is that it is such a comprehensive view of, uh, of the topic from both sides of the yin and yang, which I think is, is really beautiful. So to give you guys today a, uh, an overview of what we did, we thought that probably one of the good ideas to do this is for us to discuss some of our favorite bits, right? Would be fun. Different things for the different, for, you know, the yin and the yang will like things differently. So maybe we we alternate. You just say one of your favorites. I say one of my favorites until we run out of time. Does that work? Let's. <laughs> Let's do what you start. I start. Although I'm going to surprise you with the first one, because although I said I hate physics and I actually tend to, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> you are the only person ever who has ever managed to get me to appreciate a physics equation and with its simplicity and just actually, cause I truly, I'm like, that's not my brain. And I- Oh my God, that's, that must be the, the nicest thing anyone ever told me. <laughs> <laughs> but with the equation in the book, which you say to repeat, cause I'll get it wrong. Cause I'm so, what's the equation? The stress equation? Yeah. 
All right, so, so Alice tells me we need to write about stress. At the time, I asked her to write a chapter so that we, I know how she's going to write so that I know that, you know, not only she's an expert, but a good writer. So she wrote a, a bit about the biology of stress, which was really, really quite impressive. I, I added to it afterwards, which is, I think, one of the, of the good parts of the book. But then to me, I just couldn't get it. And, and, and to my strange mind, I only understand when I see things in, a, in an algorithmic way. And so, yeah, I, I suddenly realized that the word stress in my mind means more in physics than it does in humans. Because of course, if you know the basics of physics, you understand that stress and strain and fatigue and so on are actually all terms that are, are borrowed from applying pressure to an object. Pressure or tension doesn't matter, but applying a force to an object, objects behave the same way. And so the, the equation basically, when, when you look at at an object and how an object feels stress. It's not only about the force you apply to the object, it's basically the force divided by the cross-section square area. So think of it as the amount of resources available to the object to carry the force, right? So the easiest way to imagine it is, imagine if you have one little pencil and you apply you know, 20 kilograms to, to that pencil, it will break, but if you add more square area, the pencil will, will, will stay longer and so, Interestingly, that also applies to humans. So the amount of stress you feel is not just related to the forces and challenges and pressures applied to you. It's, all, it's, it's basically those forces divided by the skills, resources, and, and abilities that you have to deal with that pressure. Yeah, exactly. So the, I loved that because that extension of like expanding your capability, right, with the surface that you call in physics... It's what I've always based all my work on when I work with people in stress. It's like, okay, understand yourself, understand it, but then give you tools to actually deal with it, which is like expanding that capability, like you say. And I think that I just loved that you actually managed to create a physics equation that was simple enough for what we call the stress equation for the book and then get someone as you know, emotional as me to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. So I think that bodes well. And yeah, it just is very, it's so logical but it also, it just feeds into every other part that we we discuss with our whole book, which is so, just, I love it, to be honest. Yeah. Shockingly. I, <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I, I, I really, I really understood stress quite a bit better when I started to do the mathematics of it. So stress being the pressures or the challenges that you face divided by your abilities and resources is one. But I also like the analogy to strain. So, you know, in physics, once again, if you stress an object, objects that are brittle and, you know, stiff, if you want, they will break, right? But objects that will, will you know, flow a little with the event, you know, if you, if you stretch a, a piece of paper, it will break, but if you stretch a rubber band, it will be elastic enough to go a little bit with you. And that allows it to, to sustain, you know, more uh, challenges, if you want. Also the idea of post-traumatic growth, which, mm -hmm. which really, well, you actually can see it visibly, visibly in a, an elastic band, right? Or a balloon, I think is a very good example. If you, if you blow a balloon and keep the air within it for say a day or whatever, and then you let the air out, you see that the, the balloon is a little bigger now, you know, it's a little more welcoming of more air the next time because it's now stretched itself to respond to the force. And I, and I find that quite interesting in humans, the, the idea that some stress, which is quite interesting, huh? some kinds of stress that would have freaked me out in my twenties, 
you know, I dealt easily with in my my thirties and my forties, they were almost a non-issue. And now I don't even notice them as stressful events at all. It's, it's that development of skills and resources that I think works for you. And of course, one of my favorites is the equation for burnout mm. and, and why we break, but we'll come to, back to that in a minute, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, no, no, tell me about that though, because why, I, I was looking at that equation as well. And burnout is the biggest, obviously, as we know in the modern world, people think of, you know, traumas break us, but that's actually not the reason for- That's not at all, yeah. For the stress of today. The, Stress yeah. pandemic is because of the burnout and... Yeah, statistically, uh, I mean, there is a lot of research that will tell you that, let's say we break down because of three reasons, mm. right? The one that is mostly in the spotlight because it's so visible is trauma, right? It's like, you know, Mo lost his brother, so Mo should be breaking down. Okay, and trauma is basically, again, we wrote, I wrote a, a trauma equation in humans in the book, which basically says that you break down under trauma when the, uh, when, the, when the force applied in a very short time to you exceeds your ability to handle uh, the pressure, basically. So it, it's sort of a very quick snap, okay? Yeah. But, but statistically, 91% of, of people, uh, so, so let's, let's put it this way, 97% of all humans will get at least one PTSD inducing, like very high level of trauma, like losing a loved one or being in an accident or being in a war zone or working in an intensive care unit and so on. 97% of us will get at least one of those in, in a lifetime. 91% of them, so one nine of every 10 will recover within three months. Yeah. Okay, uh, more than 96% will recover within six months. Okay, so, so basically trauma doesn't break us. What breaks us is the other two. And the other two are least discussed. One is burnout, right? And, and I have to say, this is probably my, one of my favorite parts of the book, the idea of what breaks us because stress in itself is not bad, right? What breaks us is either burnout or what I call anticipation of stress or an anticipation of a threat or a challenge, right? So, so the burnout equation is when you burn out, it's not because suddenly life treated you like it treated you in your in your twenties. You know, nobody burns out because they lost a sister and a father and you know and a job and a lover and and, and all of that. that. That doesn't burn you out. That breaks you. It's a yeah. trauma, right? What burns you out normally, and you can easily see it, is you know you walk home at seven a.m. after four weeks of a million shitty things happening in your life, and you know your partner says something like, "Baby, you're late," and you snap. Right. And, and you can't take it anymore. And, you know, you, you can't get up in the morning and, you know, you, you and I sometimes have this because I have so many things that I'm doing. And then you meet me and you go like, okay, you know, Mo, we need to also do this on the book. And I'm like, I can't take one more. You, you know what I mean? It's always that little one more thing that if you let into your life, you burn out. And then the equation becomes very straightforward. It becomes not just one thing that's breaking you, it becomes the number of stressors multiplied by the intensity of each, multiplied by the frequency of applying it, multiplied by the duration of applying it. And if all of those together exceed your ability to handle the pressure, then you'll burn out. And burnout will, will really wear you down. It won't break you, it won't crush you. It will just sort of like, you don't want to get out of bed anymore. Yeah. Burnouts now, as you know, like it's recognized by the World Health Organization, as an actual, you know, illness and uh, finally. Yeah. yeah. And it's because it's, you know, we are the most stressed we've ever been as a society, particularly in the West. And it's just, 
it's really sad to see. And I think that what we're trying to do, obviously, with Unstressable with even companies is to make sure that it becomes a company culture to not let your employees get to that point of burnout. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it is, you know, like you say, it's that build up, it's the tiny things, it's the what we realize, of case, you know, one of my favorite, you know, one of my favorite parts of the book as well as the TAM model. Yeah. And our model on TAN is actually looking at where your stress is coming from. So we always have macro, micro um, stresses and external and internal. And, you know, for us, that's trauma, macro external, obsessions, macro internal, nuisances, micro and external, and then noise, micro internal. Say, say those again. So T-O-N-N. T-O-N-N, a ton of stress, uh, trauma, obsessions, nuisances and noise and it's the nuisances so those micro yes. external stresses that are the big reason for burnout because these are the things that we don't think cause our system stress but the reality is which is what i find so interesting now is that the reason that a lot of the modern world is stressed is because we don't have an understanding of why our system's getting stressed and when so like what used to stress, you know, Mo's system back in the, oh, I'm saying like fictional Mo, back mm. thousands of years ago from a, you know, tiger coming oh out of the God. bushes. It, do, it does feel like a thousand years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A thousand I'm years ago. not that old in this we, life. <laughs> no, but like, in another life. Um, that Like a tiger coming out of the bushes, your stress response goes on, it comes off, right? That is how stress response was meant to work for us. Yeah. But our system hasn't caught up with the modern world that we live in. So what used to set our system off for a tiger coming out of the bushes still does for a car hitting you, you know, almost hitting you in the road. Amazing. Turns you into a superhuman, makes you get out of the way, fight or flight goes on, adrenaline goes on, cortisol, everything you need to run, fight, flee, <laughs> do what you need to do. But the burnout is actually because our system is constantly being engaged and turned on in the modern world because it hasn't caught up with the world that we've created for ourselves. So, you know, the stressful email from a coworker, the multiple no notifications on WhatsApp, the annoying, aggressive factory setting alarm, yeah, we what, throw what, ourselves what, out of bed with. WhatsApp is killing me. Well, there you go. That's what I mean. Like the Truly. amount of I have 153 unopened conversations right this minute. Oh, you sound like one of my clients. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I mean, so, so, so it's, you know, being unstressable, honestly, for me is not a question of, is life not stressing me? I mean, life is really pushing it here, but, uh, but yeah, it is 10 conversations may stress you. 153 might get to a point where you go like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to delete that thing. Yeah. Stop giving your number out. <laughs> <laughs> It's easier than email. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's those like tiny, what we call nuisances, like external micro stresses that add up, add up. One doesn't matter. You know, one notification from WhatsApp isn't going to make Mo pop. But, you know, it's 75 that day added on to traffic on the way to get to something, added on to seeing a stressful headline on the news. All these things are slowly just adding up in your system, in your stress threshold. And then suddenly, like you say, it takes one thing to make you go, ah, <laughs> yeah. and that's what burnout really is about. It's like those little things adding up, adding up, and us just not realizing that if we are in this modern world, which we all are if we're listening to this, unless you're happily sipping a pina colada on off the grid somewhere with not a, not a worry in sight, the majority of you will be listening to this because you are in the modern world and you're pretty stressed and, you know, just making it through the days that we have. And the reality is, is that as such, if you are, you have to take responsibility for the fact that your system doesn't understand how to deal with it. So you have to learn how. So what's the answer? 
Well, the answer is definitely um, our, you know, limiting what we can, limiting the needless stress in our lives, which obviously goes to our model, limit, learn and listen. And then the the greatest um, thing for me is actually just learning about the four parts of the self. So, yeah. Like those languages. And that's what, you know, the main part, well. So hold, hold that thought for a second, because I don't think everyone knows what the 3L is. So, so the, the main backbone of the of our approach, our model, whether in the book or in the membership or working with corporates or whatever, is a model that we call the three L's, limit, learn, and listen. So you take an active look at your stressors, the ton of stress, right? Hopefully trauma is not that often in your life, but uh, you know, even if you're f- struggling with trauma, you, you know, you have to seek a specialist uh, help and, and deal with it, but mostly the obsessions and the nuisances and the noise, the obsessions and the noise being internally generated, you really need to learn how to stop torturing yourself. But the nuisances which come from outside you, anything short of a trauma that adds up and leads to burnout, the, the answer is to limit, right? So so the model limit, learn, and listen. And and everything in the book is an approach to show you how, how to either limit, learn, or or listen. The listening bit is the other backbone of the model. And the, and the listening bit is that we are made as humans from four elementary components, if you want. What what did we call them? Four mod- modularities? Yeah, did we say manifestations before? I can't remember. But it's, yeah. yeah, so basically <laughs> you're, you are a mental... You have a mental side to you. You have a, I don't mean mental. As <laughs> you are <laughs> mental. <laughs> you know, you, you you basically have your 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 mind, your heart or emotions, your body, your physical form and your soul or spirit, which, you know, you don't have to be a spiritual person to, to understand that there is a side to you that is non-physical, you know, that your intuition, your consciousness, whatever that is. And unless you understand the language in e- of each and every one of those, and how they speak to you and how you can speak to them back, you basically are completely in the dark. You're unable to recognize your stress, let alone deal with it. I want to come back to the to the four modalities in a, in a bit, but before we go there, I, I want to also talk about another part of the book that I believe is one of my absolute favorites. So when, when we started to write Unstressable, we spoke about burnout and trauma and so on, the broken under stress, if you want. And, and it, it hit me before we submitted the first edit uh, that there w- that you know that the other big pandemic if you want is anxiety mm-hmm. right and anxiety is not because there is a challenge that, that you're facing right now it's about a challenge that you haven't faced yet it's about something that's happening in the future and so you know as i said we break down under three circumstances one is trauma the other is burnout and the third is what i call anticipation of a threat Okay, so all of that thoughts, that mental work that we do, mental as in absolutely crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely crazy, which brings us down to fear and all of its derivatives, as I always say. And it's quite interesting when you understand the difference between them, uh, that they're not all the same. So, So it's worry, fear, anxiety, and panic, right? And we sort of deal with all of them as if, okay, something a challenge is about to face me, I need to start to, to deal with it. Actually not true at all. So, so they come from the same main fabric, but they're very different in their nature. Worry at the very bottom is, it happens when you, when you suspect that there is a challenge coming, but you don't actually know if it will be. Right. It's like, you know, your company is there are uh, rumors that the company is not doing very well financially. And now 
you're telling yourself in your mind, oh, I'm worried that they may lay me off, right? Uh, you don't have information about that. You don't know if the threat is actually about to happen or not. You don't know if it go it's going to hit you or not. If, you know, are you one of the people that may have to go or not or whatever? You're just worried. And worry means I'm not sure yet. I haven't verified if the fear, if, if, the, if the threat is actually going to happen, right? When you verify that, you suddenly move from worry to fear, right? And fear is I know for a fact that I'm going to be laid off right? That's a very different one. Panic is not even related to what you're afraid of. It's related to time. Oh my God, HR and my manager are in the room. They're going to lay me off, you know, today or next week or whatever. When, when the threat is imminent, that's when we start to panic. Anxiety, very different fabric. Anxiety is something, you know, a threat or a pressure or a challenge is about to happen. Okay. And I've looked at it and I now analyzed my abilities to deal with it. And I actually don't think I can. That, that's where anxiety happens. It's not a, a, a form of fear. It's a form of doubt of your own capability to deal with something you're afraid of, mm -hmm. right? And so when you, when you look at those four, problem is every time we feel any of them, we try to remove the threat or minimize it or avoid it or find a way to deal with it. But that doesn't work. That only works when you're afraid. Okay. When you're worried, your task is not to actually deal with what you're afraid of at all. Your task is to verify if there is actually a reason to be afraid or there is no reason to be worried. So, so you're, you're verifying if what you're worried about is actually true. If it isn't, drop it. If it is, then move into fear and let's deal with it as fear. And within fear, that basically means you need to either remove the, do, do your best to remove the threat or to minimize its impact or to be ready for it. Okay. When you panic, you don't want to deal with the threat at all. When you panic, you want to deal with the concept of time. So you need to tell yourself if I, if you feel panicked, okay, what can I do to give myself more time? Do I, you know, if I have a presentation on Thursday and I'm not prepared, you know, can I call the person and say, let's do it Monday? Can I, uh, you know, drop a few things that I'm working on and, and make up enough time for me to get prepared? Or can I actually even verify if I'm not prepared, if I, if I need more time to be prepared? Right. That's that's basically it's a question of time. And once you manage time, the panic goes away. Right. Uh, and, and then anxiety, which I think is the modern world's biggest pandemic, if you ask me, is concerned with your own abilities. So when when you feel anxiety, don't work on the threat. Don't try to avoid the threat. Don't try to solve the problem. Try to increase your abilities. Try to increase your skills. Try to, try to invest in yourself. Try to bring a team a player that can play with you to help you overcome the challenge. Anxiety is not about the threat. It's about you. Okay. And I think the problem that the reason why anxiety keeps coming back is because as we keep focusing on the threat, we don't actually think about our abilities. So we constantly fail in facing the threat because we have not developed the abilities, right? And so if you start looking at it and say, okay, I don't seem to be to have the skills for that presentation on Thursday, I'm going to have to read that bit and then study that online course and then do this so that I'm prepared for Thursday, the anxiety will go away. And so, so this to me was one of my favorite discoveries in the processes is how to handle your mind when you're one of those four quadrants, when in reality, for most of us, we deal with them as a threat is coming. I'm afraid I'm, I want to deal with the threat. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because anxiety is an emotion, right? Yeah. So if stress is, you know, what people think of as like 
um, you know, stress is, you know, you can feel stressed, but the emotions that come from stress is, you know, things like overwhelm and feeling irritated and feeling anxious. Those are a whole other language in itself, which has been, you know, what obviously for me is one of my favorite things in the book, obviously, because I'm Mrs. Emotion, um, <laughs> was uh, looking at that, you know, that emotive side of stress, the emotional language. And I think that's why I've really enjoyed doing this work and looking at all as a whole with emotional, men you know, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, because so many, so many things and so much work on stress in the past has just been looking at the biological and the logical and the, you know, mental or whatever it is and not taking into account how we actually feel and how, yeah, you know, that actually absolutely. changes and how we can manage that because. Yeah, that, that's one of those parts of the book where I, I start to read and go like, where is she going with it? <laughs> and then half a, half a page in, I actually feel something that's, yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. But no, but it is, yeah. it's crazy because for me feeling, as you know, as we say in the book, as a modern society, we've been taught how to think and not how to feel. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest damages we've given ourselves because we are totally sensory feeling creatures. Um, you know, if you weren't meant to feel, quite simply, you wouldn't. And we have this capacity to be able to feel an array of emotions. You know, in total, Brené Brown's research shows 87 different human emotions and experiences. I mean, that's incredible and crazy. But the reality is, is that we are so uneducated to manage our own emotions because we've been taught like logical think you do you do you do instead of you know inwardly actually assessing how we feel and understanding how to like move that negative feeling through us and not be overwhelmed by feeling bad because we're human and of course we can't feel good all the time that's impossible and equally you know an emotion is only ever i always said like an emotion is only a negative emotion is only ever trying to make you you know help you with one or two things it's trying to show you something outside of yourself that you need to change or something inside of yourself that you need to heal. That's it. You know, it's alerting you to something. Yeah. And so we actually understanding, you know, the emotional language. This is so interesting because you say something inside yourself that makes you heal. My very logical brain has always mentioned this statement as something inside yourself that you need to learn. Do you, do you, that's so interesting. You know, I, I look at it always as a cerebral thing. It's yeah. like, you need to learn something. This is why life is challenging you. You're saying you need to heal something. So yeah. this is, oh. So it's like, you know, if you get triggered by something, anything in the outside world, we all have our, you know, subconscious traumas from little things that have happened in the past that make you triggered by things, whether that's big or small. If you're triggered by something and it upsets you and it alerts you to feeling a certain negative emotion, what that negative emotion is trying to show you is, okay, I either need to change something in my outside world, like I need to ask Mo to do something that will change the outcome of something so that will make me feel better and we can move forwards with this. Or if that's not possible, then I need to look at why I'm being triggered and heal that within myself so that I don't continually get triggered by something outside of myself that I cannot change. So it looks at that, like like you say, for me, it is, it is healing. It is understanding that you can use your negative emotions to heal what you need to within yourself so that you can then use them as your greatest ally. Like emotions are, for me, <laughs> literally like the compass that we all don't know we have. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's quite interesting because I have to say one of my favorite experiences of writing this with you 
is that you have something that you used to be the only person I know that had, other than now my wonderful wife, Hannah, where you remember those, you did that three times when you would burst at me at something and then around 14 seconds and you go like, oh, why did I do that? What, I, I, first of all, I'm sorry I shouted at you. <laughs> Literally, it takes you 14 seconds and then you say, and what did I, why did I feel this, right? And it's, you know, again, Hannah's amazing at this, you know, Hannah being a therapist herself, you know, goes like, suddenly she goes like, mm, because you said this and my dad said it when he when I was 12 and then my boss said it when I was 16 and whatever, right? And she can actually trace where that emotion came from, how it was triggered. But that's not a typical thing for everyone. You know, as you said, emotions are very subtle, they're very blended and we're taught not to to listen to them, not to even acknowledge them. So, so what, what would your advice be for someone who's unable to feel? That, that chapter was called Feel to Heal. Yeah. But most of us are not allowing ourselves or maybe forgot how to. I think the first point, if someone is in that stage of where they've really shut down, you know, how to, how to feel and they're like, I don't even know, <laughs> you know, how to feel what my feelings are. You know, the average, and by the way, you're not alone if you're listening to this and that's who you are. The average human can only name out of those 87 emotional experiences and emotions, the average human can only name three. Is that true? Yeah. Happy, sad, and mad. Oh, it's not think, think, think? No, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One. <laughs> but isn't that crazy? That's what Brené Brown's happy, research said. Happy, sad, and mad. So like, and, and that's the, for me, and this will sound awful I, I'm like how because you feel like 700 I literally I feel things all the time and I'm like you know I can know you know it's like we were in the audio studio yesterday and the audio studio guy safe was saying Alice how do you feel today and I was like I had to pause I heard that I paused yes because I was like I'm not going to just say I feel good because I didn't feel perfect yesterday morning so I was like you know what safe I'm feeling a bit apprehensive we're not going to finish in time but I'm also excited to do the book and those are my two emotions that I was feeling that day and I actually I always really pause to actually answer that properly and yeah. unlike the typical human <laughs> which will say oh I'm just fine I'm fine yeah but you know that's why you know we have trouble with you know relationships it's like talking about like emotional stress if I can't explain to someone I love how I feel how can I possibly expect them to understand how I feel? Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, th and that's that's the massive massive issue for emotional stress. But if people don't, you know, how to access their emotions, going back to your point, and they think, I just don't even know how to start my feelings, start it from a logical standpoint before you go into the feeling one. Oh, don't take me there. <laughs> that, that emotions chapter had quite a few equations itself, so. <laughs> Not the equations, I'm talking about the technique. About start to write. So like, uh -huh. you know, therapeutic writing, and writing simply on the prompt of, and I actually found this interesting. I was talking to a friend about this the other day because I do morning pages, you know, I free flow. I can write just letting out every single emotion goes from left to right, upside down, da, 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 and I'll go to all sorts of places uncensored in my journal. And it's an emotional process for me. It's a great way to start for people that logical, you know, pen to paper, therapeutic writing um, has been, you know, a huge thing since, God, you know, the 60s and it, in therapy as a recognized therapy because it gets you to access that stream of emotional consciousness uncensored and you don't think anyone's going to judge you because they're not, it's just you in the paper. But just to start from the prompt of how do I feel? Yeah. You know, how do I feel? And then how do I want to feel? Yes. And just start to like open it up that way and look at how, 
how you feel and how you want to feel, if that's aligned or if it's really far apart. If it's really far apart, then I just say like, okay, for your little exercise that day, just think of one tiny micro action you can take to help you move towards the feeling you want to feel. But equally, just keep writing out the, to process the feelings that you're uncomfortable with. And I found that, you know, like you talking about logic then, it's true. And you know, I had a friend who was saying to me the other day, they'd looked at um, the journal prompts we put on our unstressable Instagram would come up as a post. And they're like, oh my God, I found that so useful because I really struggle to just write my feelings and I really need those prompts. And it's such a good reminder that people do, you know, yeah. it's, it needs some guidance. But yeah, just start to ask yourself, you know, as you know, there's many feeling techniques that I could go into, but I won't because that's that's really accessing the feeling. Yeah. But to start with the logic, get your pen and paper out and just ask yourself, how do I feel and how do I want to feel? I have to say I was amazed on our membership. We have a consumer side, but we also have quite a few corporates and, you know, the serious corporate members who come to the to the membership webinars and how absorbed they got into that emotional side of things. And the idea of actually thinking about the fact that they have the right to feel, mm. let alone, you know, need to, to learn the skill to enable that. Again, I think that was extremely eye-opening for me. I, I was reading the, the audio book uh, a couple of days ago, the chapter of, the, my bit of the chapter of emotions, uh, and there are very prominent uh, four equations there. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in my mind, I think, of course, that emotions are, they appear erratic, but they have a logic behind them, right? So so like I described panic, panic is a question of time. The, the, the th threat is imminent. So, you know, you can actually mathematically describe that it's related to time. Uh, and uh, yeah, one of the four equations is wrong. So I'm going to ask you uh, as our listeners to f find out which one it is. It's and, wrong. It's not perfectly written mathematically. Yeah. See, I wouldn't be able to tell because I can't do maths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and, and I had to say, I, I stopped while reading the audiobook saying, oh my God, yes, that's actually not right. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's very, it's, it's a tiny mistake, but, uh, but yeah, it's missing uh, one symbol. Uh, <laughs> no one will so, know. So, so, so we, will, we will not remove it because the book is out for print already. So maybe in, in the next edition, but if you pre-order the book, uh, which would really help us by the way, with our mission. So if you plan to, to, to buy the book, pre-order it. If you pre-order the book, when you get it, uh, find out which of the four equations is not accurate and send it to me. If, <laughs> if you if you discover that more than one is not accurate, then I'm not going to write math, uh, math again. Uh, yeah. W w one other thing I should probably have said is that uh, inside the book you'll have a, a fifteen dollar discount code uh, about uh, for unstressable the membership. So if if you plan to to use the the membership at any point in time, that will basically mean that you got the book for free. Okay. So. Can I say one of my favorites? Of course, please. One of my absolute favorites in this book was uh, how Alice wrote about physical stress for the simple reason that I was about to edit the physical stress uh, chapter. As I said, we, ed we edited each other's work. So I was about to edit your work uh, a month before I went on my 2022 retreat. And if you recall, I texted you. So I read the oh, chapter. Oh, I recall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read the chapter and uh, and I um, I actually realized that I was, everything you wrote in that chapter applied to me. Like I was so physically stressed. And I think that's probably because of, a, I mean, of course, because of the number of things that I do in 
passion to achieve my mission, but, but also because I'm getting older. I'm not old, I actually feel quite young, but I'm getting older. So the idea of traveling 16 hours uh, somewhere, then landing and sleeping for two hours and then waking up to do a talk. Is absurd, yes, carry on. (laughs) Yes, it is. But, But I have to admit, so I read that chapter and I made a commitment that I will uh, actually take care of my physical form in that retreat, the 40 days retreat I did in uh, in 2022. And I felt amazing. It completely changed me. You focused specifically on inflammation. And of course, because I have access to the author, uh, I, I asked for a quick summary around what I need to do and how I change my diet and how I change my you know rest and recovery and so on and so forth. And I applied that during the which is all advice in the book, but but you know I I got sort of a private uh, cons- consultation and I applied that and came out of that retreat never ever feeling better, and I mean never in since I started working right since my mid twenties. So so tell us about physical stress. Tell us why why do we feel physical aches and pains when we are stressed? For me, I always look at the body as it's like an extension of the mind, right? You know, Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about that in his work. It's like the subconscious, you know, the body's an extension of always knowing. It's always hearing what you're thinking all the time. And it's always getting everything that you're doing. So it's like whether you're eating badly, whether you're not sleeping, it's being stressed out, whether you're thinking, you know, negative thoughts, you know, the body is constantly absorbing all this and the body is super resilient like don't get me wrong like the body you know we really really push our bodies to the limit and it doesn't break until a certain point but that does not mean that we should let it get to that point absolutely so you know the body is far wiser than the mind in that sense so if your body is screaming at you with aches and pains and digestive issues which we'll talk about like why this happens it's really time to pay attention. Don't let yourself get to the point of, you know, like my wonderful dad of actually, you know, dying from a stressful, stomach ulcers are a huge factor of stress because when we, you know, stomach issues in general, when we're stressed and our fight and flight goes on, it pushes away all the resources. It Our body needs to thrive and just concentrates on what we need to survive. So, you know, and that's funny little phrase, phrase we always say, if, if I'm running away from a tiger, I don't need to digest my steak and chips. My body's like, no, no, more importantly, it's like you have blood in your muscles, you know, all these things and you're on alert and I, your heart rate increases, all that kind of stuff. If you're constantly in this state of stress, which we, like we talked about earlier, a lot of people are simmering in the background from the nuisances building up, just simmering away in stress. Our body never has the chance to go back into parasympathetic state, into rest and digest and recover. And recovery is when our body is actually thriving. It's when it's digesting our food. It's when it's replenishing ourselves. It's when we're actually getting recovered sleep and, you know, able to actually, you know, just process all the things that our body needs to do to be really well. And when we're in this stress state and inflammation occurs, it's because cortisol short term, you know, is great. Like when cortisol goes into your system from fight or flight, it alerts your body and it allows you, like we say, to run away, to fight, but also to, you know, heal a wound that say if we were going into battle, which is like what our strides and fight and flight originally was for and these kind of life threats, it would be able to, you know, heal the wound quickly, that kind of thing. Cortisol long-term, which is what we're all dealing with, just simmering in the background, really increases inflammation. And inflammation is just a breeding ground for disease and illness. And, you know, like we talked about with, you know, you said like when you did your retreat, 
I was like looking at those, how you can make your body less inflamed from stress because your body sees things that aren't healthy as well as a stressor. So what we don't yes, realize, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what we don't realize is like how we treat our body can put it into fight or flight without Correct. us even realizing. So, so you, you get stressed, yeah. right? You, you, your body responds by feeling inflamed and aches and pains that stresses you, yeah. right? So you eat uh, junk food and that stresses your body. So it stresses you and that's, you know, and then you, you don't sleep enough and it stresses you, uh, you know, and, exactly. and so on. It's a vicious cycle. Like, you know, yeah. sleep, there's a reason why sleep, for example, is used as an active torture method in certain prisons because lack of sleep is so stressful for the human and the body that your stress response will literally go off continually if you don't get enough sleep. It's like, oh, survival, what's happening, yeah. you know? And so all these little things like sugar, it sounds of stress response. Sugar, on. oh my God. <laughs> so so that, that actually, I think, I mean, one, one of the advices that Alice gave me from the book was I needed to take sugar, gluten, dairy, and any allergens. So Just I'm, inflammation, yeah. yeah, inflammatory foods. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh my God. That actually didn't take very long. I very quickly felt better. Mm. Well, it's, you know, it's just that inflammation because, you know, when you are inflamed and when your body's full of cortisol, your body can't rest and it can't bring itself down. So it's you have to, you know, support it. Like you have to do anti-inflammatory exercise as well. You know, even like we have this thing of, you know, everyone's like, okay, well, if I do go and do loads of cardio when I'm really stressed, yeah, okay, that will help if you're at a certain level of stress. You know, that exercise gives you endorphins, it helps burn off cortisol, it helps do all those things. If you're over the point of like, you are really, really stressed, doing a cardio hit class is one of the worst things you can do for a system that's in hypervigilance because it's literally just giving you more cortisol, even more, and it's like da-da-da. So instead, you know, do a nice, long, low inflammation walk you know, do some restorative yoga, just bring your body back down to ease before you can go back into doing things like that. I apologize, my wonderful body. I, I, <laughs> I mean, everything in that chapter I did. And I think many of our listeners do. It's, you know, it's, we're, we're so high paced, highly engaged, you know, that's what the modern world does to you. So that one, that, that one really made a big difference for me. Hmm. So, okay, what up, what's another one of your favorites, though? Okay. I love the stress quiz. Oh, yeah. I act, I really do. So, Alice and I worked on a very long list, I think 40 questions or something like that. Yeah, they're quick. Don't, yeah, very, don't scare yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple choice. <laughs> no, we, we worked on a very long uh, list, and then we ended up with, with 40 questions that you can do in like four minutes or something like that. Multiple choice. Uh, that will give you not only your stress score, so how stressed you actually are, but it will also give you which of the four modalities of who you are, mental, emotional, physical, and, 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 and spiritual, which of those is causing your, your highest amount of stress or highest contribution to your stress. And we did that. We, we used it in first time on our retreat last year. Uh, we had a, a wonderful retreat with 150 people that basically took this, the, the quiz. And Alice and I both did the quiz and it actually was quite a, an accurate description. Yeah, I love that though. I think it's so good though, because it was accurate. I, well, actually, when we did that, I was like, yes, it really works. Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <you> know, <laughs> the mathematics behind it is accurate. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, my, my biggest challenge is, you know, in managing stress has always been my mind. 
And so my mental stress will always be the one that I have to work on most. And yep. although I will say all my scores were green, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, you changed my, everything, yes. My mental uh, percentage, even though it was green, was the highest percentage out of the four. Yeah. And then you had, obviously, yeah, my, my physical. Your physical. was totally red. Yeah, it was no, totally it was orange. It was orange. orange. It was yeah. orange, yeah. but yeah. it was your yeah. highest. Right? Yeah. Your overall score was still in green, but your physical was your highest. And that's yeah. always your biggest challenge, like we just yeah. discussed. So 100%. And it, it, you, for those of you listening, you don't have to buy the book to get the stress surveys. Just go to unstressable.com and slash quiz. Slash quiz, yeah. Yeah, unstressable.com slash quiz and you'll find it there. You can do it now. You don't have to wait for the book to come out. And it's really very useful. It highlights to you which part of you that you need to work on most. I think that was a, a very effective uh, a very effective way. Okay, do, do we have time for maybe one or two more? Um, yeah, let, let, one more. One more. Mm, do, 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 do. I mean, I have to say, <laughs> obviously, um, spiritual stress is... I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> yeah. Spiritual stress is definitely... What is spiritual stress? So spiritual stress, I mean, I remember I first talked about this on your podcast when we first met. I define spiritual stress, it's nothing to do with religion, it's to do with, you know, spirituality. For me, my own definition of spirituality is a greater connection to myself and a greater connection to something outside of myself. For me, it's what I believe to be God, universal power. But for anyone that can be, you know, nature, it can be community. If you're not, you know, if you're an atheist, whatever it is, you know, it's your own sense of connection, both inwardly and outwardly to something greater. Greater than yourself. Yeah. Okay, so, so I have a different definition maybe. I, I mean, let's align on this. So so I, I'm a very serious scientist in my approach to everything, but the big lie I, want, I, want, I would say about science is that we, you know, the scientific method basically says, or at least is claimed to say that if something is not measurable by, observe, by accurate observations in the, in the physical world, it doesn't exist. Or, or at least that's what scientists would want to tell you, right? And so accordingly, anything non-physical doesn't exist in the form of science, but that's wrong. Actually, the, the, the accurate description of the scientific method should be, if something is not measurable with repeated observations in the physical world, it's not part of the domain of science. Okay, we are not we are not concerned with it because we can't apply the scientific method to it, right? But a lot of scientists feel love, and love doesn't exist in the phys in a physical form, and it's not measurable with with accurate physical measurements and observations, and yet love exists. And so, my attempt, uh, in, you know, at the beginning of that chapter, you know, my contribution was to try to explain that you know there is another side to us that is non physical. And even though it cannot be measured through the scientific method, it does exist. And that other side of you is talking to you. It has, it uses a language. Again, the four modalities are all about a language course. So it uses a language to communicate to you that what's non-physical, whether it's part of you or part of the bigger non-physical oneness of all of us, if you want, is talking to you all the time. And, and if you ignore it, you, you know, it's, you're, you're stressed in your physical form because you're not getting those messages. And it is it, you know, your non-physical side is also stressed because you're not listening to it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, phys it's physical. Spiritual stress has two sides. One is we become spiritually stressed when we're totally out of alignment with our authentic self, our soul self, and what that self is trying to guide us to. So the soul is always speaking to us through the sensory, through our intuition, through these whispers and emotions and intuitive hits. And when we are out of alignment with who our true self is, and that goes beyond 
the labels. So if you can't answer the question, who am I, without saying, I'm a doctor, I'm a dad, I'm a lawyer, you know, or I'm a mother, as a label, that's not who you are. That's not your essence. That's what society has told you you are as a label. So the essence of the soul is totally unique. You know, everyone has their own soul essence, soul gifts, soul traits, soul energy. And when we are out of alignment with who we truly are, the kind of energy we're here to uniquely bring to the world, we become stressed because we are totally out of alignment with our authentic selves. Yeah. And we feel like something's wrong because it is wrong. You know, you're not going yeah, with who you are. And you're, then you're half of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And then the other higher side is, um, so it's that's, you know, that side when you're disconnected from your soul self, your authenticity and your intuition. The other side of spiritual stress is when you've connected to your intuition, you've heard the whispers, you've heard the messages, and then you just totally ignore, ignore everything them, it says. Ignore them, yes. <laughs> and, then, and I love that bit because it's so true. So how many times have we had those moments where you've said yes, but you felt no? And that's, that's, that's that thing, right? You're ignoring completely what your intuition is telling you. And then life will decide to wake you up. So it's like, you know, the soul will keep trying to get your attention. It'll feel stressed because you're going against what it knows is for your best. And then sometimes life just sends you what I call in the book a soul slap, you know, that side swipe, bam, no redundancy. Here we are because you haven't been brave enough to, you know, this job's been making you miserable for 10 years. You hate it. It's crushing your spirit, but you're still there. And so then sometimes, you know, you get made redundant, for example, because life is trying to show you a different path. The soul is yeah. like, wake up, wake up, wake up. You know, that's just an example, but that's the essence of spiritual you, you, stress. You, you were quite playful with that chapter. So there was soul slap and there was soul, serenity. Oh, soul serenity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the, what was that? Well, soul serenity is just, yeah, understanding when you are actually feeling what I call spiritually calm. Mm. So we feel spiritually calm when our heart aligns with our choices. You know, yeah. and we truly feel that we're in the right place, in the flow of life, accepting even the bad of it because we know that we can we can handle it and that life will eventually show us something that we hadn't seen at the time of stress. You know, sometimes we're so stressed when we're in something and we're trying to control the outside world, desperately trying to change stuff that is not ours to change. It's like me with my dad trying to get him to get treatment for cancer. That wasn't my choice. And I was so stressed. That's when I realized, as you know, in the book, I write this. That's when I realized I was spiritually stressed for the first time because I was trying to look to the outside world only for answers I was trying to change the unchangeable. I was trying to get my dad to see a treatment. I was trying to just fix something that wasn't mine to fix. And I wasn't looking inwardly at my soul for what my intuition was trying to tell me at the time, which eventually when I did was let go. This is not your fight. And I'm so grateful that I did. And this is why I wrote about it is because had I not, you know, listened to my intuition then, I would have spent the last, what I didn't know was two years with my dad arguing and stress control and stress instead of just being with him in what was and because we didn't lose him to cancer we lost him to stress you know um stress ulcer as i said stomach ulcer i would have been so regretful had i not listened to the guidance of my soul because i would have been arguing with him about something that i didn't even need to argue with him about and wasting that time i had left with him so yeah spiritual stress for me is it's a real fun one i have to say (laughs) yeah um, okay, so I'll, I'll 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 say my one more. One more, yes. Okay, uh, because we're running out of time, and, and and the book is just like I think I must have 
200 more but uh, my my very one of my 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 favorite as well was the mind gym mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so so we we uh, after i wrote the ment- mentally stressed chapter i i sort of uh, you know, unstressable is not an attempt to de-stress you. It is an attempt to de-stress you and keep you out of stress, right? So being unstressable so that the next time life throws challenges at you, uh, you, you don't feel the stress. And, and so the first bit of the, of, the, uh, of the mental stress chapter, which is a bit of a long chapter, uh, was talking about how to de-stress, how to remove mental stress. And then through neuroplasticity, we developed this concept that's called the mind gym. Uh, which are seven, seven, no, eight practices uh, that will keep you unstressable, unmentally stressable, if you want. And those were Jim, uh, G-Y, uh, M-M-M-M-M-M. Uh, so being grateful, yielding, meditating, and being mindful. Meet your brain, one of my favorites, I call it Meet Becky. Make believe, uh, which uh, really is sort of visualization, if, if you want, how, how you can train your brain to visualize. Mind your own business, a very big rant from me about all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it really, it, it actually, when I was reading the audio, it was, it, I, was, I was almost angry about how media and social media and mainstream media are, are hijacking our lives and, and, and getting us to worry about things we shouldn't even worry about. I mean, as if life is not stressful enough, we now have to have to worry about, you know, a, a child that fell in a well in Morocco or whatever, which yeah, of course you have the compassion and the empathy to feel about, but without the ability to to react to it. Yeah, we're uh, an information overload. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it is uh, definitely a very stressful um, part of our life, and 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 my my whole rant was driving at the idea of champion something. Don't don't just flood yourself with information that stresses you, but you can't react to. If you're really passionate about one cause on one, on one or one topic or champion it and, and really know enough about it and, and start to act and be an activist and do something rather than just stress yourself. And then finally, the last M was connect to mother nature, which I have to say uh, was one of my favorite conversations here on Slomo with uh, Craig Foster, the uh, Oscar winner of uh, with uh, my my octopus teacher. I love that documentary. And he was incredible. I mean, he he first of all he was very very generous and and very honorable because he was supposed to be on my podcast literally four days before he was informed that he won the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, and and so he so nicely uh, sent a message saying, "I'm really sorry." I may not be able to be uh, uh, available at that time. Can we do it later? And then I forgot about it. And he came back and said, okay, uh, all of the rush is now done. I promise that I will be on your podcast. It was season one or season two, 2018, 2021, 2020, right? So so, uh, I don't remember, but anyway, it was, you know, I wasn't that big yet. And he still came and said, I promise that I will be on the podcast. Can I be on the podcast now? And I said, absolutely, I loved the documentary. And the first question I asked him was, uh, you used to dive every day in 12 degrees Celsius. I mean, imagine what it's like in 12 degrees. You normally wear a jacket even outside, right? If you're in water, that's literally like freezing yourself without oxygen for eight hours a day. Isn't that very stressful? And he almost got angry at me and he said, what? Being 
photographed by paparazzis all the time and having to do press interviews and having like coming out of that Oscar experience. I thought you meant he's talking about your life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he was, he went from that deep connection with nature into winning the Oscar and and feeling so stressed by it, right? Mm. And he said, this is stressful. Being in 12 degrees water, this is what we're made for. And, and, And his statement was, we are of mother nature, we're not just visiting. And that's one of the biggest reasons for our stress is that we disconnect from our mother, right? And it was so beautiful. And I have to say one of the eight practices that I started to include a lot more often in my life. And even here, you know, in my home uh, down in Dubai, you've seen it, it's entirely, you feel like you're in a jungle, all of those plants and fishes and so on. But the mind gym in general, I think is one of my favorite bits of the, of the book, eight practices, very accurate. And if you if you align to them, you you end up without mental stress, or at least with less mental stress because of neuroplasticity. Yeah, it's it's a great model, it really is. And like looking at the mother nature part, I, you know, I know myself because you know, living in a city, living in London, currently, that's like it's your your nervous system is on the entire time, whether you want yeah. it to be or not, right? And so when I Christmas this last year, I was going up to Yorkshire to the countryside to see my mum and. We'd had loads of work before then. I was like really, really sort of pushed to my limit in that classic lead up to Christmas festivities period of like socializing and working and trying to get stuff done. And then I got to Yorkshire thinking, ah, my mom will be cooking and looking after me. And my poor mom was really ill with the flu. So I was then looking after her. And so I was just sort of like really, really, you know, didn't have that time to recover. So I thought to myself, I was like, right, okay, my meditation's working to a certain level. What does my body actually need? And I went to go and walk in the forest by myself, um, drove, you know, 15 minutes away to go and walk by myself, away from everyone in the forest, in the trees for like an hour and a half. And I felt completely different by the time I came back yeah. because my body, my nervous system just needed that space that nature allows us to actually put it back into parasympathetic state. And I just think it's so important for people to realize how much that works. Yeah, you, you always tell me that when I when I text you and say I'm stressed and you say barefoot on grass or, yeah. or, or on sand put your feet in, in in the ocean's water, which again is sinful if you think about it to live in Dubai where, you know, the water's so nearby, but then, you, I, you know, I don't go that frequently, but it does work. It does oh, make a difference. The sea is my happy place. I know. You know? <laughs> like... I know you're a dolphin too. Okay. So, so let's do a bit of rapid fire. As, as I, as I said, you know, the book is like 385 pages or whatever. So there are quite a few, it's a very comprehensive a handbook, as I like my books to be. So quite a few tips, quite a few favorites. Let's do a, a bit of rapid fire. Any other favorites? Ooh. <laughs> Just one sentence. Okay, I, I, I love the 90 seconds rule. Yeah. Okay, the work of Jill Balti Taylor and the idea that even from a biological point of view, what's breaking about our stress is the fe- is the negative feedback loop. So, you know, you, you get stressed very quickly. You're supposed to actually de-stress within 90 seconds, like most animals, as soon as, as the stressor goes away. Uh, but we don't. We keep re-stressing ourselves. That, that, to me, is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorites is, um, you know, that our intuition is the language of our soul. So yeah. just, you know, when we can connect to our intuition, we can connect to our soul, to our self. And we teach you in the book how to actually connect your intuition, which I love. Yeah, I love I love the limit in the digital world. That, mm. that, uh, that something was... you need to practice today, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, something I need to practice actively every day. But remember, I dropped my uh, devices hours 
from seven hours when I started my practice to around two and a half hours now, uh, which includes all of my connection with devices, including answering all of those WhatsApps. And, you know, I, I still try as much as I can to answer every single message I get on social media, Don't failing, failing, started on <laughs> fa that. failing, failing, failing. Love but. you all who are listening, but the, <laughs> uh, I, 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 honestly, the amount I'll, of uh, micro-stress. I'll, I'll openly say, look, connecting with humans, which part of, uh, of the mind gym is really the biggest de-stressor in the world. And, and I don't go to social media to post or whatever, but the, you know, that whole idea of connecting to a human, even if so slightly, I, I really actually uplifts, uplifts me. All right. Uh, your, your turn. My turn. Didn't I just say one? Okay. Wait, no, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Another one of mine would be actually, you know, just the TAN model, you know. I, I love the TAN model. I've always looked at macro, micro and internal and external stress for clients. And then you know, you using the TAN acronym and us creating an actual model for those things. It's, that was great. I love that for people to really understand what their stress is coming from first. Yeah, I, I love the two models, the deal and uh, the three anchors of sanity, uh, I yeah. called them. Uh, so these are very, very, very down to earth, practical tools and agreements you have with your brain to... Uh, to avoid mental stress, I found the deal and the three anchors of sanity very useful. You can flip through the book and find one more. I have one more. A bit of energetic intelligence, obviously, because I love Reiki and all things energy. So for me, that was our energetic CPR um, and actually how you can <laughs> <CPR>. <laughs> yeah, cleanse, protect and reground and just how those simple energetic practices, how we need to look after our, our energy. Um, you know, how our energy body actually affects, affects our stress too. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of information here though. Yeah, I think we're, we're good with that. So, so it's a, it is one of my favorite works. Normally when I, when I write books, I write them with the intention of learning first. So, you know, when I write a book, it is a topic that I want to nail down. You know, it's a topic where I have so much information in my head about, and the process of writing is healing and reaffirming for me. This time I had a wonderful co-author, thank you, Alice, who also taught me things that I wouldn't normally uh, accepted as part of the process. There was a moment uh, in, in, the, in, in our writing process where I used to call them what magic something, you know, the magic tricks, magic tricks. Yeah. So, so the, some of the, of the stuff that Alice talks about that is so unscientific to my mind. And I used to want to, I wanted to label them as magic tricks so that, uh, now they're know, called stress hacks. But they have so, a magic wand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so now, now we replace that uh, again. One of my favorite bits of the book is uh, is that idea of stress hacks and uh, reflection time. So, lots of parts of the book are marked with either a stress hack logo or a reflection time logo, which are basically the yin and yang again. You know, reflection time is sort of the feminine side, if you want, of being. So you, you tend to send, sit with yourself in those exercises and learn something about yourself that you didn't know before. And uh, the stress hacks are uh, practice exercises, things that you can actually do. So it's on the side of doing so that you enable yourself to become better. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, when you said like researching and stuff, it's like, it's, it's, I'm so grateful for you to 
allow me to write this book with you and do it together because for me it's really funny because the research for this has been 10 years so i i probably <laughs> did such i did such little research when i was writing it because i've been doing it for yeah, 10 you years were, you were writing quite a bit that i was just like and i it was so wonderful to be able to put it all down and put it into like a concise thing to be able to help people because one of my biggest you know, people always ask me this. It's like, you know, how did you start to learn this? And at the time, you know, the reason we do the membership, the reason we did this book, for me, it's like putting it all together, the stuff that I could not find when I needed it most when I was 25, yeah. 24. Yeah. It was all over the place in different places. There was nothing that held all the teachings and learnings we put together in one place, which is what our mission has really been about to not make you stressed by having to find out how to make you unstressed, but putting it all together for you so you don't have to. 100%. One of the beautiful outcomes of this book is that the ver first version of it was 600 pages. Uh, more? 640 yeah. or something, yeah. Yeah, and, and there was a bit uh, in it, uh, 70 pages about uh, stress at work, uh, there was uh, 90 pages around what we call the uh, nine, nine beasts yeah. of, of grief. Uh, so my, my expectation is that we will hopefully bring those out as well. Uh, I think the nine beasts of grief should probably be a project we work on as soon as we finish this. Yeah, it's a big, been wonderful. big topic. <laughs> it's been wonderful, Alice, uh, and, and our friendship. And yeah, I, I some, somehow feel you've always been You've always been family and you will always be family. So I'm very grateful that you pushed me to write this. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy with what came out. No, I'm very, very grateful for us writing together. It's been, uh, it, is, it continues to be like the best, like you say, it's so cool to work with someone who you think of as family, as a friend, but who's also like taught me so much and who really is completely different to what I do. And it's, yeah, it's really, it's been so, so wonderful. And hopefully like, you know, our mission continues to make, you know, take a million people a year out of stress. It's not like a, a blanket comment for us. It really means something to both of us for the reasons we told you. And, and it's, it actually looks possible yeah. with, with all of the pipeline we have on uh, on our membership and on, uh, you know, book sales and, and all of the talking engagements and speaking engagements. You know, I, I think the one thing that happened differently with this book is that we've been testing it for a year and a half before we finally gave the final text to the to the to our publishers because of the membership because of the retreats we did because of the speaking engagements and so on any final words well i think it's just funny to add to that it's like that um i was really upset as you know multiple times been like the book's delayed the book's delayed and i just wanted it to come out but it goes back to that spiritual stress side of like the universe always knows what's best for you yeah. if it hadn't been delayed we wouldn't have created the mission and the membership and the corporate side and actually what can then be taken from the book and implemented into the world for people. So Yeah, and, and it wouldn't have come out in 2024, the most stressful year in history. <laughs> um, so uh, so for that, I'll, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of this. I ask all of you to uh, give it a chance. As I said, a few things to understand happening here. One is you can pre-order already. If you pre-order when you get the book, you'll get a $15 discount on the membership on stressable.com, which basically makes the book free, but you can also keep your pre-order receipt, come and register already on unstressable.com. And so that you, you get invited to our launch webinar, a very special event only for pre-orders to take you through details of 
uh, of unstressable and how to become unstressable. Look out for other fun activities that we do. We will do around the book launch uh, date. Part of of our mission on stress is this mini series on stress. I plan to have uh, at least eight episodes on stress. This is the first of them. Part of slow mo here. My mini series will start uh, around the second half of March and go until uh, mid May, hopefully. And Alice on unstressable will have a few as well in the current season together and a few that are separate. But yes, together we are tackling stress as a top priority this year. A million people out of stress is the target. Uh, do help us out. As I said, you, if you intend to be part of this, pre-ordering makes it a lot more successful for us. Not because of book sales, but because if you pre-order and we hit a certain number in the first week of the book release, it gets on the top seller list. And then if it's on the top seller list, a lot of people get informed of it and the movement begins. So uh, help us out with that. Yeah, it's uh, that tagline of the book, isn't it? Because it's not the events of your life that stress you, it's the way you deal with them that does. It's not the events of your life that stress you, it's the way you deal with them that does. I think that truly summarizes uh, our approach to unstressable. And as I always say, I am very, very grateful that you give me this platform to discuss such important topics, to have such wonderful guests, and uh, to give you something to think about differently every every week. There's definitely a lot of the stress that comes in life that is part of the pace of life. So whatever it is that you're doing this week, please find a tiny bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening, and I will see you next time.